The Healthy Charleston Podcast is brought to you by Made to Move Physical Therapy. Made to Move Physical Therapy specializes in helping you get out of pain and get back to doing what you love. We offer relationship-oriented, one-on-one, individualized care to all of our clients, and we believe in putting the patient's needs first. If you'd like to work with me or any of our other physical therapists at Made to Move, check out the link in the show notes and get 10% off of your first session. We have locations throughout Charleston, Mount Pleasant, West Ashley, Somerville, and Daniel Island. Don't waste another day stuck in your pain. Follow the link and schedule an appointment today. Welcome to the Healthy Charleston Podcast, where we help you take ownership of your health and fitness. My name is Hannah, and I am here to be your source of accurate health and fitness information while spreading awareness about all of the different health and fitness resources available to you in the Charleston area. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. This is your host, Hannah. And on today's episode, I got to talk with Dr. David Johannes Meyer, orthopedic surgeon at Low Country Orthopedics. David is a Charleston and Somerville born and raised native, a runner, a dog lover, a South Carolina fan, go Cox. And he was actually the first surgeon in South Carolina to perform an ACL repair with the bear implant. So we talk all about that, what the bear implant is, how it works, what are the outcomes, what is the science, and we get all the details. We also get to talk about what led him to become an orthopedic surgeon, some of his favorite memories and experiences along the way, what he's working on in regards to his health this year, and what he loves to do in Charleston with his family of four kids and three dogs. Before we start, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And now Dr. David Johannesmeyer. What's up, everyone? I got a good one for you today. In the house, we have David Johannesmeyer. He is an orthopedic surgeon at Low Country Orthopedics. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We have uh, He has his monster energy. Can you tell us more about the drink that you're having today? I just get tired easily. So <laughs> I need my monster early afternoon to get me to get me going. Is this an everyday thing? Pretty much, yeah. I know it's not good for you, but I can't help we, myself. Hey, it's about balance. It's zero sugar. Zero sugar, no calories. Just gives me a nice little boost to get me through the rest of the day. Do you like coffee? I drink several cups of coffee in the morning and okay. Mountain Dews. <laughs> no, it's the Mountain Dew for me. That's where I that's where I draw the line. I, I just can't help myself. I need the caffeine. Yeah, I completely understand. Yeah, I mean, you're probably pretty busy. Can you tell us what you do here in Charleston and Somerville and, and why you need so many energy drinks? So I am an orthopedic surgeon and I have a subspecialty in sports medicine. And so I see patients in clinic, I do surgery, um, and I do this full time. So I'm at Low Country Orthopedics. I have, you know, clinic that I go to. I have surgeries that, that I, I do on a, on a weekly basis. Um, and I've got four young kids, so I need the energy. Yeah, you got a lot going on. Yeah. Okay, so quick question. How similar is your life to what they show us on Grey's Anatomy? Nothing like it. Nothing exactly like it. like it is what he means. There's so much <laughs> drama, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely not that kind of kind of drama. Things yeah. tend to go as expected. Yeah, exactly. Watching those shows, I feel like people are always like, "Wow, I want to become a doctor." Or like, have you seen Suits? I have not. No. We're watching Suits right now, and so I obviously want to become a lawyer. But all my lawyer friends are like, "That's not what it's like." I'm like, "Well, that that seems more fun that way." So you know, so orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine. How did all of that come to be? Take me back. So I decided I wanted to be a doctor when I was in second grade. So I'm one of those few people that, you know, you want to be an astronaut, a firefighter, and then they go on and be something else. I actually stuck with it. Um, so that was always the plan. And that's a pretty vague answer because there's a lot of different types of doctors. And it wasn't until I was in high school where my high school anatomy teacher called me the Michelangelo of cat dissections. Oh, and wow. She, yeah, she encouraged me to uh, pursue a field in surgery um, as a high school athlete. And then at the time, having had a girlfriend who tore ACL, started getting interested in orthopedics. Um, I eventually went on to the University of South Carolina, where I was a four-year letterman for the track team. Um, so my background in athletics um, certainly kind of started pushing me towards this field of orthopedics. And I think you could... You know, really say it was in my blood. You know, I'm 
a native to the Charleston area and I was actually born right after the Cooper River Bridge run years ago. Just Um, destined to be a runner. Destined to be a runner, destined to be a track athlete and really destined to go into sports medicine. And so, you know, going into medical school, I always knew it was going to be orthopedic surgery. Always was pretty convinced it was going to be sports medicine. So completed medical school at MUSC left town um, to do my orthopedic surgery residency at at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, and then did a sports medicine fellowship at the University of New Mexico. And I've been back here now for five years. Love it. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that because I feel like so many people are like, yeah, I want to be a doctor. But it is funny to see so many of them, you know, just decide to do something else. But as a second grader, you were so sure. What what do you feel like led to you knowing? I think for me, I liked helping people, which was big. You know, that's what we do. That's that's the, the ultimate purpose of what we're doing is we're helping people. Um, and, you know, you don't think this way as a second grader, but ultimately it was kind of sexy to be a doctor. You know, it's kind of cool to say, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And then ultimately my interest, you know, in science, even though it was really more of a math nerd, but I had a lot of interest in science when I was growing up and, and how the body functioned and doing multiple sports as a kid, even though it ultimately went to, you know, the, the running and, and track side of things. I just wanted to help people in that, that arena. Yeah, for sure. And dissecting cats. How often do you get to do that now? Now, never. <laughs> I think I've done it twice in high school. And did you ever do the frog? It. We did the frog, I think in like seventh grade. Oh, wow. Y'all were ahead then. Yeah, we did the frog, like, I think in AP bio in high school. So we were a little bit behind. Yeah, we did the frog in seventh. I think I did um, owl pellets when I was in third grade. And um, we did a like a fetal pig. Yes, I remember the pig. In yeah. high school. Where'd you well. go to school? I went to Somerville High School. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's cool. Very much a, a local. You said you did track. What was your event? What were your things? So I did the, the skinny kid stuff. Okay. <laughs> so I did anything from the mile to the 10K in undergrad. 10K on a track, as you might imagine, is pretty Miserable. boring. Yeah. 25 laps. I can't even fat. In high school, I didn't even want to do the four laps for the mile. 25 laps? Yeah. Do you still like to run? I do still run, not nearly as much as I used to. Yeah, kind of got yeah. it all out of your system. Got it all out of my system. I graduated undergrad 15 years ago. I'm not nearly as fast as what I used to be. <laughs> yeah. These are getting a little bit old now. Too. Hey, but, you know, you got resources for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And went to South Carolina. Are you still a big fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely cheer on the Gamecocks for better or for worse. But how do we feel about this year? I think it'll be a lot like last year. I mean, we, we beat Clemson. Like we ended, right? We did beat Clemson. Okay, I'm like, oh. Yeah, we ended well, we ended the season, you know, beating Tennessee, who's yes. highly ranked, God, followed by Clemson. Year? Yeah, it was great. It was great. I loved it. Yeah. We always do a great job at ruining other people's seasons, especially so I was born and raised in Louisiana, but I moved to Tennessee when I was 10. And so all my friends were big UT fans, and I just like can't stand them. So when we beat UT, it's like my favorite day of the year. I just it's something about the orange, you know. Yeah, I don't like orange. I don't own anything orange. No, you were bred to hate orange. We have one PT here that went to Clemson. Otherwise, most of us went to South Carolina or somewhere else, and we just love to to roast her at all times. I mean, used to be easier, but since they've been doing better. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. So you kind of grew, you grew up an athlete. You grew up with a big interest in science and also in helping people. And I also think like a lot of people when they start med school, when they start PT school, like everyone wants to do ortho, right? You got to orth- orthopedic residency at, you said UAB? Yeah. And and like, what was that experience like for you? So one of the reasons I really liked UAB, A, is I wanted to stay in the South. Um, but B, it was a large hospital. At the time, at least from what I understand, it was you know, one of the five largest public hospitals in the country. And it had a pretty robust trauma experience. So think car accidents, motorcycle accidents, gunshots, um, which for me, I felt was the basis to learning how to be a, a good orthopedic surgeon is being put in those situations where you have to think in your feet because no single fracture is going to be the same. Everything's going to need a slightly different treatment. Um, and so my first month there was on the orthopedic trauma service. My 
first month as a doctor and some of the types of injuries and the drama related to the trauma bay there was pretty impressive to say the least. Yeah. You got a lot of experience, a lot of reps, a lot of reps, a lot of experience, a lot of surgeries. Um, and that experience was at least in my opinion, foundational for me being able to be confident in the operating room and, and do what I feel is a good job treating my patients. Tell me about like your first, your first surgery that you helped with. Um, when we start, we get basically bottom of the barrel surgeries. Yeah. So it's like cleanups and things like that. I would say probably the, the thing that sticks out to me the most from a drama standpoint is I remember being the intern on call for the, the trauma bay for orthopedics and the trauma surgeon calls me directly and says, you need to come down here right now. And so I come down and this guy's leg was run over by a train. Just his leg, like just one his, leg. Just his leg. That How was it. How did this happen? He worked at a rail yard and I guess had fallen and the train went over his leg. And See, that, that's some like Grey's Anatomy style stuff. That is some Grey's Anatomy yeah. style stuff. So you do get some of that drama. Yeah, yeah, it's just not like every hour of every day. Exactly, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so um, honestly, there was no salvaging that leg. I mean, you have to yeah. complete the amputation. But that visual is still in my head as far as the drama of it all. Yeah, for sure. Was there ever anything in medical school and residency that made you think like, maybe, maybe this isn't for me or maybe I want to do like, was there another specialty that you were interested in? I entertained other specialties. However, that was in case orthopedics didn't work out. Yeah. Orthopedics, if I'm going to be honest with myself, was always what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I looked into things like surgery, radiology, anesthesiology, um, but really I knew orthopedics was, was what I wanted to do. What do you feel like is something that most people either get wrong about orthopedic surgery or they just don't know? In the medical community, we're oftentimes looked at as dumb jocks. Oh, really? Sometimes amongst other physicians, <laughs> which is just a stereotype, right? Yeah. You know, it's not really who we are. Um, but there is a lot of knowledge and technical training that we have to pursue and and attain when we're in our orthopedic residency. So yeah, we might be jocks, but we're also smart. Oh my gosh, yeah. You have so, how many years of school? Like close to 10? So after high school, it's four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, five years of orthopedic training, and then I did the extra year in sports medicine. So it's an extra 14 years of training oh my after goodness. high school. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about that that extra year, sports medicine. Yeah, so I went out to New Mexico. Um, Fun, I, great place yeah, to be, right? Yeah, yeah, great for a year, <laughs> completely different than Charleston. Um, I knew I wanted to go out west because I knew I wanted to be back in the south, ideally in the Charleston area. I had the opportunity to go out to New Mexico and learn sports medicine from some leaders in the field. In particular, New Mexico sees a lot of knee injuries where there's multiple ligaments involved. And I knew I wanted that training because it's pretty complex. Um, from what I do as a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, knee injuries that involve multiple ligaments are some of the more complex, if not the most complex thing that I do. Are they really common too? They're not very common. Okay. Why Why was New Mexico like the place that, that got a lot of those? I think a lot of it has to do with, there's a lot of high energy car accidents that end up oh. with multi-ligamentous knee injuries. Um, there's a thought that there may be a role with the fact that there's a lot of Native American reservations out there, um, that they may be more prone because of the roads or the car accidents. Oh to, man. To getting those kind of injuries. Yeah. So went there for a year, like got a lot of intense, again, like a lot of experience, a lot of reps. Exactly. Yeah. And then moved back to Charleston Somerville. Exactly. So now like, what is a week? Of your life look like a day in the life of David so I do about three clinic days a week and about two surgery days a week um, so for instance yesterday I was in clinic all day from about 8 30 to, to about four o'clock in the afternoon my surgical days start around 7 a.m. 
and I just operate until the cases are done. Sometimes it can be an all day affair where I'm there till four or five o'clock. Sometimes if it's a lighter day, I may get finished early afternoon. I, at least over the last four months, I ha- I wake up at 445 every day, go to the gym and run. Nice. So see, you're still a big runner. Yeah. I'm still a big runner, but only like three miles, not the 10, 12 miles I used yeah. to go in an undergrad. Mm-hmm. But wake up early, run, relax, do some quiet time, um, get the day started with clinic or surgery, depending on what, what the schedule shows, get home. And this is all after having my monster. Well, and you've had to deal with like four kids, getting them all to school and waking them up. Like, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot going on. They've, yeah. they've got a, a mom that really takes good care of them. That's awesome. Yeah. So you are still a big runner. What gym do you go to? I go to uh, the Daniel Island Club gym right nice. now. Yeah. What was it about running? So I had an older, my, well, really all my older siblings, but I had one brother who went to Somerville High School who was on a state championship cross country team. And so there's always that interest. Mm-hmm. My parents ran as their primary source of exercise yeah. when I was a kid. And so I always felt like I was just supposed to run. Yeah. Um, Born on the same day as the bridge run. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was going to happen. You know, as a, as a younger kid, you know, I did swim team, the local swim team. I did uh, soccer. I did basketball. Um, and then when I was in middle school, I told my parents I wanted to start doing cross country. And so I was doing that at the same time as I was doing soccer. And I realized that I was a better runner than I was a soccer yeah. player. <laughs> and so that's ultimately what led to me just doing track and cross country when I was in high school. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you were basically running the whole time, but with soccer, you just need to kick the ball and kick do ball all that. But yeah. Yeah. Do you see a lot of runners now? Like what is the population that you see a lot working with now? I do see a lot of youth athletes, mm-hmm. you know, your high schoolers will come in a lot with a variety of different injuries, um, whether it's anything from an ACL tear to, you know, shoulder instability where it pops out of socket to meniscus injuries. Um, I see a fair amount of hip injuries. Um, I do see occasionally ankle and elbow as well. Um, sports medicine, a lot of people think it's primarily just going to be, you know, athletes, 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 but everybody can get an athletic injury anywhere from, you know, a young child all the way up to 80, 90 year olds can have some type of athletic injury because we are such an active population, particularly here in the Charleston Mm -hmm. area. Um, and so I do see a fair amount of your weekend warriors as well. So people that are doing something on the weekend, whether it's on the boat Mm. out on, on the Wanda river or doing something at the beach or pickleball, we see a lot of that. Pickleball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll see a lot of those kind of injuries. And so, you know, yeah, sports medicine, you think athletes, but everybody can get an athletic injury. What are some of the most common surgeries that that like you're doing weekly? The most common joints that I manage operate on would be the shoulder and the knee. Mm -hmm. Um, in the knee, the most common injury is typically like a meniscus tear. Yeah. Um, after that, it would would probably be ACL injuries Mm -hmm. are fairly common. Um, as far as the shoulder is concerned, the most common surgery I do from a shoulder standpoint is a rotator cuff repair. Mm-hmm. And then following that would be either management of, of a patient's biceps tendon or um, a labral tear, which is the rim of, of soft tissue that goes around the socket of the shoulder. This is a weird question. Do you have a favorite surgery? ACLs. Yeah. That's a great segue. So tell us about the bear procedure. So I don't have a ton of knowledge on it. I know that it's new. I know that it's innovative. And I know that you were the first person in South Carolina to perform it. And you deep dive on the bear. Sure. So, you know, ACL injuries, it's when you injure one of the ligaments that are, that are, that's inside the knee. And it helps with both rotational stability as well as stability of the, the shin bone going forward within the knee. It's pretty common, particularly in, in young athletes, but you can, any age group can get an ACL injury. Traditionally, at least more recently, kind of the standard of care is, is a reconstruction of it and your younger athletes that are going to be doing a lot of the side to side and cutting motions. And most of the time we take tissue from one area of the body and move it to the other. The three most common would be either taking some hamstrings, taking your part of your patella tendon or taking part of your quadriceps tendon. Sometimes people also use cadaver grafts as well to basically replace the ACL. We call it a reconstruction, but you, you take out the remnants of that old ACL, that torn ACL, 
and then place new soft tissue to help bridge that gap to provide both that front and back stability as well as that rotational stability. The bare implant is different because we don't remove the old ACL. I first heard about this when I was interviewing for my sports medicine fellowship. I interviewed up in Boston for that fellowship and interviewed with the surgeon that developed this. And so that was the first time I heard about it. And then I didn't really hear much else about it until a little over a year ago, probably about 15 months or so ago, um, when there was a local patient who really wanted the procedure done, but there was nobody in South Carolina that did it. And my name came up amongst the representatives for the product and they reached out to me and asked if I was willing to learn how to do it. And I said, nice. I was willing to learn how to do it. Yeah. A lot of it because I recalled hearing about it when it was in its research and development stages from six or seven years ago. And so the difference with this again is that we don't remove the old ACL. And so it uses a decellularized bovine collagen matrix to help bridge the gap of that torn ACL. So BEAR stands for Bridge Enhanced ACL Restoration. And so what this allows is it allows you to use the soft tissue that is residual from the torn ACL and use this collagen matrix to bridge that gap. And what ends up happening is the body starts to restore blood flow and blood vessels, restore cells over that bridged gap and essentially heal that ACL in its native attachment sites. The beauty with this is that number one, you don't have to move graft or take a cadaver graft. Mm -hmm. So you don't lose tissue from one area of the body and, and move it somewhere else. And then you don't have to use, you know, essentially a dead person's mm -hmm. tissue to reconstruct the ACL. Second is it maintains the blood supply. So if you were to do a more traditional ACL, you don't regain that blood supply that crosses from the tibia to the femur. So the two bones of the ACL connects. Third, when we do those more traditional ACL techniques, we lose the nerve endings that exist at the attachment site of the ACL because we have to drill tunnels through the bone. And the tunnels that are drilled for the bare procedure are much smaller. And so those nerve endings remain intact. And there's a thought that there may be some functional benefit by maintaining those nerve endings from a, we call it proprioception, so subconscious balance um, of the body. And then lastly, you know, people can re-injure themselves. You know, people can re-injure their ACL, you know, with no fault of their own, just they get a new sports injury, you know, playing soccer or basketball or whatever. If you re-injured the ACL after, after having the bare procedure, you still have the options of those other graphs that are more, more traditionally used to reconstruct the, the bare or reconstruct the ACL. So you said you first learned about the bear um, when you were interviewing for fellowships. Yes. Um, so it is, I was going to say fairly new, but like seven years, like it's probably been researched before that. Like what, um, why did this start to become a solution? Like kind of what's the background on the bear? I don't know exactly the surgeon's mindset. I, I know that her background is primarily pediatric orthopedic sports medicine, which is a hyper-specialized field. Like so all ACLs. <laughs> right. So it's like, it's not just you're a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, but you're a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon that focuses on children. Yeah. Um, and my understanding is that she felt that there has got to be a, a different way. Because one of the things that we run into with ACLs with children is that they have growth plates that are open. And by doing some of the more traditional techniques, sometimes that growth plate can be damaged. Mm, yeah. And so my inclination is that she thought maybe if we had this different technique that is a complete departure from more traditional techniques, maybe that's something else that we can offer to a more specialized population. And now it's being translated to really the, the entire population. Yeah, it's cool because you're you're using, you know, your body's ability to heal. You're providing it the resources and the environment. But I wonder, um, is there a when we use a cadaver and we use quad patella hamstring, you know, it's not the same structure. Like it wasn't a ligament, it's a tendon. Um, how much does that change 
their prognosis when you're using something that was not a ligament to now is a ligament. One of the biggest things that we see from moving those type of tissues around. So let's just use the hamstrings, for example. Well, we've got a lot, we've got several tendons that are make up this kind of hamstring complex and we don't take all of it. So yeah, you still yeah. have some of your hamstrings, right? <laughs> no more hamstrings. Right, no more hamstrings ever. <laughs> that would be um, tough. <laughs> but what we find is that there is typically some weakness mm-hmm. residual related to that. That's never gonna come back. Um, and so one thing that you find is that by moving tissue around from one area of the body to another, you move it around, but you do it at the expense of something else. Yeah. Um, there's the risk with say patella tendon, because you always take some bone with that. There's a, a risk of pain whenever you kneel down on the knee. There's risk of, of injury, you know, such as a fracture, even though it's small fracture to the kneecap or some other, other area of bone by moving these, these graphs around. And so by not having to take healthy, normal tissue from one area of the body to another area, functionally from a strength standpoint, hopefully we maintain the strength as opposed to losing some of that strength with a, with a hamstring, but also you reduce the risk of what we call donor site morbidity, meaning pain or issues mm-hmm. related to where you're taking the tissue from. What about, um, you know, obviously like ligament and tendon, different properties, like different cellular, cellularly. Wow. Like how much does that play a role in like the new graft itself, having the new graft graft go from being a ligament to now it's a, it's a tendon. How much does that change? Like the stability of the knee? Um, it doesn't change it a ton. I mean, there's always going to be a little bit more, probably some more laxity related to, um, the movement of, of the tissue around. There's been studies out there that have looked at the strength of those three graphs, main graphs that I previously talked about and how it relates to the ACL. Um, and there is variation Mm -hmm. between them, you know, some are going to be stronger than others. Um, some are going to be at higher risk of having re-injury yeah. than, than others. Um, like they all have pros and cons. They right? all have pros and yeah. cons, yeah. So like as a surgeon, especially with the bear now, like having that an op- be an option, how do you decide what this person is going to be the best fit for? So typically you want to have enough of – we call it stump of the ACL. So you want to have enough residual ACL where it attaches to the tibia, where you can effectively pass the suture through that ACL stump so that it can be pulled up to the femur and allow that, that bear, that bridge to be, to be effective. So that's one thing that you need. So if they're, if they had potentially like a super wild injury, like if they don't have any of that ACL left, like they're not a candidate. Right. If it's yeah. completely obliterated, I like to use the analogy. This is going to be gross. I like to use the analogy of crab meat. Oh. So if the ACL looks like <laughs> crab meat, then it may not be super effective. You're never going to look at your poke bowl the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So to be a good candidate, like got to have some, some ACL left. What about in terms of like population, hobbies, demographic? Who is a good fit for this? Really, you could you could be any anywhere within the population. Um Anywhere from, again, your high school athlete that tears their ACL all the way up to, you know, your older person. What I do find, and this is regardless of ACL technique, is the younger population is going to typically recover quicker. Yeah. So it's oftentimes about holding holding the reins and keeping them from doing too much too soon. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to be good. Their 17-year-old wants to get back and be a 17-year-old again. But they're still going through a healing process even though the knee is feeling better there's probably a higher risk of having a re-injury within that age group than with the older population. That's just like across the board, right? But that's probably the way it is across the board. Exactly. Yeah. What about from a healing time perspective? Are there any differences from um, the typical grafts to the bear? Um, the ultimate healing time from the typical grafts to the bear is about the same. Okay. Yeah. My you know, soft number is about nine months. That's what I typically quote. You know, Sometimes it takes people a little bit longer. Yeah. Oftentimes that has to do with the return of strength within particularly the quad muscle. Initially, the therapy protocol after surgery is slower for the bear implant. 
um, than, than the traditional ACL techniques. However, there's, there's typically a catch up as mm-hmm. well. So they do catch up pretty quickly. Um, and additionally, there's no, again, going back to donor site morbidity, there's no residuals from moving the tissue from one area to, to another. Yeah. And so that doesn't, that can sometimes cause issues during the, the post-operative rehabilitation recovery stage that we don't typically see with the bare ACL. Yeah. That's cool. Like you don't have hamstring precautions or like a risk of more anterior knee pain. It's just your ACL now. So you, like, I wonder if the rehab can get even more specific and maybe they make like, yes, for sure. Healing times same, but potentially do they make more progress because they've had less setbacks in their rehab because of a, a weak hamstring or a weaker quad or a painful knee? Yeah, that, that's certainly possible. You know, n- not every patient, not every, every surgical case is going to be the same. Yeah. And that would so be if, easy, right? That'd, that'd be, be great. Easy. Yeah. If, if everything was just like the textbook, it would make everything much I bet easier. Nothing is like the textbook, right? And so you have to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. But I do find that postoperatively, the pain tends to be better for the bear because, again, we're not moving tissue around. Um, it's a little bit less invasive as well. There's less incisions that I have to make um, so that that soft tissue is, is less disrupted during the surgery. And so I do find typically that the pain initially is, is better, mm-hmm. um, for, for the bear. But again, you know, those setbacks related to, to taking graph from one area to the next, we don't really see that. Yeah. I know it's fairly kind of recent, but do we have evidence yet on like short-term versus long-term outcomes of the bear versus the more traditional approaches? Yeah, I, I think long-term, it looks like it's very similar from a knee functional standpoint. I think it looks about the same from a, a re-injury standpoint. Um, they're, again, going back to that younger population, there may be a very slightly higher risk of re-injury in the younger population. Um, but again, the bear, it's still low. And again, the bear procedure, if there is a re-injury, still leaves the more traditional graphs on the table for you to use down the road. Yeah, right. It's like, might as well kind of try this first, knowing that like, Unfortunately, there's kind of a high risk of re-injury with a, a lot of them for a lot of different reasons. But if you can kind of salvage this and try it, like you said before, like not having to sacrifice potentially another tissue, I think it's um, I think it's super cool. It sounds like really innovative. Your first procedure was, you said like a year and a half ago? It's a little over a year ago. Okay. Yeah. And what was the training like to learn that? So I a lot of this goes back to my training talking about UAB and doing the tr- doing trauma mm-hmm. where I have to be able to think of my, my feet. You learn a lot of different techniques. So developing that confidence to do a lot of things you've never done before started early. <laughs> yeah. And in my, my sports medicine training, I remember one of my mentors and he's, he would have gone through his sports fellowship probably in the, the mid eighties when arthroscopy wasn't that big. Yeah. And one of the things he told me is we teach you how to be a good surgeon now because things are going to change. The things that we were doing 30 years ago are not the same that we're doing now. And so you need to be able to adapt with the changing climate as we figure out new and better things that are better for patients. And so for me, I had, I I was confident in my ability to adapt and learn. Um, We have the representatives where the product come. They're in the OR with us. And so they guide you through the steps, but also there was, we call it, I call it a dry lab. So I worked with him on some of the product to figure out the technical nuances. On it, dissected cats, of uh, course. On dissected cats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's where all those cats go. <laughs> yeah. They, they all come, they all come to my office oh, and we practice. No. I'm, I'm kidding. That <laughs> doesn't know. happen. So you have a way to, to practice, you know, low stakes, like dry lab situation multiple, multiple times. And yeah. then you go in and really not even multiple. Once you're once I'm really I, once I was confident, I was I was ready to go. Yeah. And I was, you know, with the with the patient, I was up front with her and she was responsive and yeah. appreciative. Well, um, she was the one who who requested it. Right. She sought me out. Yeah. Yeah. And why was it that she was so interested in this procedure? She liked the idea of maintaining as much of her native tissue as possible. Yeah. Um, and she had done the research and reached out to the representatives for the product and 
ended up on my doorstep. There you go. Since then, how has uh, the bear procedure grown? Or like, how many have you done? Are we are we doing more in South Carolina? What does that look like? So I was the first in South Carolina. I believe there's another surgeon in town that's doing it. Um, I've done now 10 as of almost two weeks ago now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, they, I think there's actually a social media post that- Really? Congrats <laughs> on your first 10. <laughs> that, 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 that came out recently. Um, and they've been doing well. I mean- my first patient's over a year out now and um she's doing great i mean she's back to doing activities that she enjoys doing when i do the physical exam to test for the acl it feels fantastic and honestly it feels even sturdier than her other knee oh wow which is great yeah um and so it it feels really good um it looks really good i've of, of those patients that have had more time behind their procedure and now everything has been feeling really good yeah that's awesome that's cool it'll be interesting to see like you know in five years from now like if we're doing just like a ton of them which like i hope in five years from now we're not having as many acl tears but that's kind of another issue right yeah i i think it <laughs> i think it's an honorable direction <laughs> we'll see an honorable pursuit i you mentioned like nine months and i I know that that is kind of the new standard of things. Like a few years ago, it was like mm, six months kind of thing. I would love to hear your thoughts on just like where we're at with ACL rehab in general. Yeah. I, I, for me, I always tell patients the quad is the key to the knee. Um, from a knee pain standpoint, from a knee stability standpoint, I think maintaining that, that quad strength is really what helps the knee overall. I find that with ACLs, regardless of technique, that the quad just gets a ton of atrophy afterwards. You know, there's obviously going to be disuse atrophy where you're just not using it normally um, while you're in a knee brace and then you have restrictions as far as what you're able to do. And it just takes time to, to get that back. Um, you know, I think in, in general with orthopedics, what we've found over time is we've progressed rehab protocols where we do more sooner. Mm -hmm. um, and we're finding that as far as appropriate guidelines and restrictions are followed, if you can advance certain things sooner, patients recover quicker and have less complications down the road. And that's one of the things with, with the bear procedure is the, yeah, the, the initial rehab protocol is more restrictive than what we would typically see. A lot of that's to allow that, that bear graft to incorporate more before you put Put it to the test however even within that that realm of, of that surgical technique this past february they updated the their protocol mm -hmm. to be a little bit more lenient and allow earlier progression of things like range of motion and weight bearing and things of that nature yeah that's great i feel like i noticed still some protocols that are non-weight bearing and like there was no meniscus involved it's just like we're not weight bearing for six weeks and that's tough you know especially if you know, you picture your typical female athlete might have already kind of had some deficits. Maybe there was time between her injury and her surgery that she's not using her legs. So now we have maybe a few more weeks of getting weaker. And then we have a few more weeks after the surgery. And it's, it's almost like you just keep kind of digging a, a deeper hole that obviously as a PT, we're super biased, like early mobility is as long as it's safe, um, that it's, it's cool to see the progression even just in, in rehab in general, like on my rotations, you get a knee replacement. I'm like, hey, I'm your PT. You ready to get up? And they're like, I just had surgery. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> um, it's interesting to see how that that is changing and, and always changing, hopefully for the better, for our patients to have better outcomes. And, you know, I'm sure like you're passionate about like getting people back to doing the things that they love, but making sure they're safe and they're, they're ready and confident. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. You, you want to get them back to enjoy what they enjoy doing without any long-term deficits. Um, but at the same time, as I was talking about the younger population, you got to sometimes hold those reins, keep oh, them yeah. doing too much too soon. So. Sometimes it's also, I find the, the middle-aged men population love to do too much too soon. I think there's a lot of, <laughs> uh, let me say, overconfidence in what they're able to. They haven't quite 
come to terms with the fact that they're getting older and they're not some 20 year old young buck anymore. Yeah, and they don't love listening to a younger buck. Yeah. I have a few, it's always, um, you know, kind of a middle-aged man, rotator cuff, biceps repair. And I'm like, we need to slow down. Like if you do, like the reason that you're here is that you did too much too soon. Um, but sometimes you gotta, you gotta rein it in, you know? Yeah. Back to kind of, you know, you, your family running surgery. I'm interested when you were seven, you decided you wanted to be a doctor. You have an eight-year-old. Have we made any big decisions? She's different than me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she likes performing. Okay. Yeah. She likes dancing. She likes singing, even if she's just doing it to, to annoy me. Uh, she <laughs> yes. likes acting. And, okay. and so those are things that me as a child, I did at church and I had to do the youth choir. Yeah, I was that kid it. that did not want to do it. it. I did not want to perform anything. That was just not my, my wheelhouse. And she's, yeah. she's just different. And so that's what she's doing. And I'm excited to see where that takes her. Yeah. Is her mom like that? She's much more of an extrovert than okay. I am. Yeah. There's um what is the school in Park Circle next to Magnet? It's like the, the Yeah, it's the um oh it's It's a, like the School of the Arts, but they call it like is it Oka? I don't know why I'm saying that. Uh we'll we'll look it up. But that's I think that's so cool that there's a school. Um it's like high school musical, right? I would have loved to go into that. So she she likes to perform. Um you have three other kids. Yeah. What are they what are they like? What do they really like to do? So number two, the six year old, she's almost seven. Um She's, I call her a little mommy. You know, she's always kind of had this inclination to help out. Yeah. And, and, and be, be a mom. Um, I do see some interest in her in maybe something in healthcare. Okay. All right. Um, she likes animals. Yeah. Don't and we all at seven, right? Right. Yeah. right. And so she's probably of, of the dogs in the family. She's the one that likes them the most. So I could, <laughs> I could see her being a veterinarian. I, yeah. How many dogs do you have? There's three dogs. How, what type? Kind of? There is a Cavalier King Charles. Okay. He's yes. A little old guy. He's, oh. he's really old. What How is he? He's old? pushing 12, 13 now. So like med school. So, so he's been a part of Christy's life since before we met. So this is a blended family. This is a blended family. <laughs> and then the second dog, I call her an Alabama redneck hunting dog. Oh, wow. So she yeah. was is pure mutt. Okay. SPCA from Alabama. She's almost <laughs> 10 years old. We did a doggy DNA test on her and she was just everything. Everything, yeah. yeah. So just let her be. And then there's a really not a puppy anymore. He's over a year old, but he's something similar. He's, he, yeah. uh, let's just call him a, a, a North Charleston. Oh, okay. Yeah. Redneck hunting dog. So are you the dog person? We both are. You both love dogs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We're definitely, definitely dog, not gerbil cat. I understand. <laughs> uh, we have two dogs. So you're, you're with the right people. Uh, we have a labradoodle and a boxer and uh, like just always when people don't grow up with dogs, I'm like, I feel like you missed out. I don't know what it is, but they're, so you have more dogs, your, your dogs and your kids like way outnumber you. Yes. For sure. So you've been in Charleston and in Somerville for a while, moved back here. You obviously love it. What are some of your favorite things about our city? So I'm, I'm one of the last like true natives here, I feel. Um, yeah, everyone's from Ohio. So I, I knew, right. <laughs> Sorry, right. Ohio. You're great. Welcome. <laughs> I knew about Charleston for everybody else. Did yeah, it, before it was cool, for sure. And so I remember being in high school, you know, me and my friends, we'd go out to Folly Beach. I remember being in high school and we would go down to the market just for dinner, you know. Um, and so for me, I, I grew to love it because of the beach. I grew to love it because of, of downtown. You know, obviously the food scene is pretty extraordinary here. Um, I always tell people that great restaurants fail all the time. And so if a restaurant succeeds here in Charleston, it's, it's going to be good. You are know? you a big foodie? I'm a big foodie. What are your, some of your favorites? I love seafood, which mm. is great here. You know, yeah. love, love anything oysters. Have you been I a love... chubby fish? I have once okay. or twice. What'd you think? It was great. So good. So good. Right? So well done. Very yeah. intimate. Mm. It's just so like, I'm like, I don't know the words that you're saying, but it sounds good. I'll order that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not scared to try something new. There's only there a handful go. of things that I won't eat. Yeah. Like what? 
That's like a very basic food. I thought you were going to be like, oh, like caviar. Like the eggplant is pretty like kosher, I feel like. Something about the texture for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about, okay, I have to know, cottage cheese. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is like a big controversial. I love cottage cheese. That's my primary breakfast. Yeah. Cottage cheese, put some some fresh fruit on it with a little bit of honey. Little honey, get protein, carbs, your fruit. It's great. Love it. Ready to go. And it's refreshing, particularly when it's hot outside like it is now. Mm, Yeah, like I don't want hot oatmeal right right now. No, not at all. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite things to do with your family and your dogs in Charleston? So kids love water. So pool, beach, you know, it's an easy day. You know, Any body of water. Any body of water. And that's one of the beautiful things about being here in Charleston is that there's water everywhere. And, you know, we live so close to the beach where – we don't have to vacation to the beach. It's easy just to pack up the car. I like going out to Sullivan's mm-hmm. early yeah. Um, yeah. before other people get there with the kids. The kids can spend two or three hours out there. You don't feel guilty about leaving at lunchtime to get home so they can have a nap or, or some rest. You can have a nap too. I can have a nap. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I still, you know, do a lot of fitness. You know, I mentioned how I wake up at 445 every day. So that's really, really big for me. Um, but the kids just like doing kid things. I mean, you know, whether, whether it's just simply like the playground or, or, you know, I think this past weekend I took them to the little skate park, Charleston skate. Or is that the one off the interstate? Yeah. Like I always pass it. I'm like, what is that? Yeah. I heard, um, have you heard of the new surf park? No. So, um, I don't know. I've like heard about it, but I don't know much about it that in Somerville or like I think Berkeley County, um, there is going to be this like massive surf park. So there's some sort of technology that they come in and build and it's all surfing. And I, and they're kind of try to make it like, um, you know, a lot of restaurants kind of like a Disney world, but like surfing in Charleston. Um, and I was like, that's, so cool but like we already have so many people here that's going to bring even more people here uh we're going to be even bigger a a surf mecca right right? (laughs) do you like to surf i own a surfboard okay i don't surf i actually i do snowboard though which is weird there you go do you own a snowboard i do own a snowboard where do y'all like to go so i took my two oldest out to montana oh nice this year so we went to big sky and you know being a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon i broke my arm yeah. Snowboarding. It could be it worse. Could be worse. That's that was the first of two times that I've broken the, my right arm. And then um this year I decided to tear my MCL. Oh snowboarding no. out in Montana on the first day. Oh, it's either like the first day or the la- like the last run of the last day. Yeah. I mean, this is the first day, it was the last run of the morning. I was gonna pick up my two oldest from ski school and how you doing? It's fine now. I mean, I'm 99% of the way there. Did you have surgery? No. The MCL typically heals on its own. Heck yeah. But I I self-diagnosed on the mountain. Did you do do a test? Oh, I did the test. On yourself? On myself. (laughs) Yeah. Did did the test on myself, made the diagnosis, took a couple days off. And, you know, know, speaking about middle-aged men doing things aren't supposed to do. I got back on the snowboard yeah. in a knee brace well, a few days there. later. Well, you're there. You got it. You're, <laughs> you're also not middle-aged yet. You don't count. You're I'm, fine. I'm, I'm older than I look. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Snowboarding is always um, that time of year. We're always a little nervous. And like all of our patients, a lot of them tour that way. Um, so getting back to that is, I'm sure, a little bit scary. Um, but it's also something that like, you know, I didn't, I grew up kind of snowboarding and skiing a little bit like um to not be able to have that would would not be fun yeah. you know yeah yeah and then, and then you know going back to the whole acls the skiing is not great on the knees and so i, I typically do several even here in charleston several people that have acl injuries from skiing and the irony is snowboarding is typically a little bit protective of the knees um i don't typically see a ton of knee injuries really just snowboarding tend to see more like wrist injuries or yeah but people but people love to like rag on snowboarders that like it's dangerous but i'm like eh, either way yeah i mean i've injured myself twice doing it now so that's what i was gonna ask is what's your what has been your worst injury um i when i was in medical school i had a what we call a both bone forearm fracture you mean my person own personal yeah. injury yeah how I, did that happen um i tripped and fell on king street 
On like a Friday night. On a Friday night. Oh no! Yeah. Where were you going, or where um, did you been? It was after an oyster roast. Oh yeah, like the downtown. the school one. The school one, yeah. Oh my goodness! And so I had to have surgery on it. This yeah. is when I was in medical school, knowing I wanted to orthopedics. Was it your right arm? It's my right arm. Oof. And um, are you right-handed? I'm right-handed. Okay. But l- luckily, you know, it's the same arm that I broke snowboarding in high school. <laughs> I learned how to write with my left hand when I was in high school. Oh. Which there you go. Ultimately, benefited me as a surgeon because I have to essentially be ambidextrous. See, aren't you thankful for that injury? Thankful now? for injuring my right Everything arm twice. Everything happens now. for a reason. That's great. I'd love to know, like you know, Healthy Charleston podcast. What is something that you're working on with your your health and wellness right now? So for me, um, I have lost over forty pounds in the last almost nine months. Nice. Um, a lot of things going on, but that focus on waking up early in the morning, making sure my exercises is, is done early. Um, eating healthier and um, giving up alcohol completely. Yeah. So that's that's I think that's that's huge. I feel so much better not having anything. Right. That's a lot of big changes. That's yeah. great. You should be very proud of yourself. It's a big nine months. Was that in January that you kind of started that? It was November. Oh, okay. So yeah, you've had you've had a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah, the alcohol thing is, uh, you know, it's just so big here in Charleston, but I feel like also Charleston is now. Um, like health and wellness is so big here too. Right. That it's interesting. You know, we used to be, we still very much are like a, a party city, a, a food and alcohol city, but now there's a gym on every corner. Um, and there's a couple of mocktail places now. Yeah. So what I was about cool. to say is, is there's a, a new, I guess, food and beverage scene with, with the mocktails and the, the non-alcoholic beverages. Like seltzers and yeah. That I think are, are great. Yeah. I had a, the other day I had a Topo Chico with like lime and like a, have you ever had an element Mm-mm. like the electrolyte powder? Mm-mm, I haven't now. Um, and I was like, this is a mocktail and it's amazing and yeah. I won't feel bad tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So something to be said there for sure. How can our listeners find you and connect with you? Yeah. So I'm with Low Country Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Um, our phone number is 843-797-5050. Um, or you can go to www.lowcountryortho.com. Um, you can schedule appointments online. You can call and our operators will answer, you know, standard working hours, you know, eight to five, but that's how you would, you would best be able to get in contact with us. I'm not the only physician in the practice. There's several of us. Um, we offer anything from hand surgery to foot and ankle surgery to spine surgery, um, as well as all the non-operative options in between. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're looking to connect with David or the Low Country Ortho team, check out the show notes. We'd love if you could give us a follow on Instagram to stay up to date with new episodes. It's at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, have an awesome week.